what is a coincidence? A coincidence is when there are two events or more that happen at the same time that seem to be somehow related. It seems like it's such a rarity. The, the statistics for these two things happen at the same time, for that to happen, there must be someone behind it. So I was listening to uh, a podcast episode the other day, and they were talking about how these, uh, these uh, listeners will submit, in all, submit all these coincidence stories, these crazy coincidences, these rarities. You know, submit them, and they're going through a list of them, and they just made an entire podcast about crazy coincidences. Some of them are kind of funny. One of them was kind of odd. One of them was about how this guy was dating this girl that he met from a different state and found out that after they started dating that both of their parents actually dated each other decades ago and it was like the only other person that his dad loved. It was just kind of like strange. And so like both sets of parents are thinking somehow he must have diabolically set this up so that their like kids would have grandkids together. So that's really strange. And then they had another story uh, about how this one guy was dating this girl and they were talking about their iPhones and he needed to set up his iPhone. So he says, I need a background picture. Send me a picture of yourself. And so she's just, you know, for laughs, sends a picture of herself when she's like eight years old. And he looks at the eight-year-old picture of her and she happens to be in Canada. They live somewhere in the States. And the, the picture of her when she's like eight years old and in the background is his grandma just walking around in Canada. And so it was like unmistakable for him. So he looks at that and says, that's strange, but what could it mean? Right? So it's my grandma, maybe it's meant to be. And this is how we interpret coincidences. Obviously, this is not a Christian podcast. But it's just kind of talk about are there such things as coincidences or providence? Two events that it seems like it's such a rarity for those things to happen at the same time that maybe there's something bigger behind it. The strangest one is uh, they were saying how they heard this guy heard this story about uh, his college roommate uh, would take a shower and always find change that just magically appeared on the floor. It's like such a weird thing for him to happen. He's like, that's strange. And they thought maybe they're playing a prank on him. You know, it's like he's new in college, and so they're, they're just messing with him. And so the next day, he's taking a shower. The same thing happens to him. He's taking a shower and just hears coins drop, looks down at his feet, and sees like a quarter. And it happened more and more frequently. Like, you'd be like, sometimes $1.25 change. He's like looking around, like, how in the world are they doing this? His mind is so boggling. And what he found out is he would often take naps, and he would take his naps without a shirt on. He'd be upside down, and the change in his pockets would slip out and then stick to his back. He would go and take a shower to wake up, and as he took a shower, the change would fall off and hit the ground. And it was just enough time, like five minutes. I know, it's the craziest thing, right? And so the reporter who's listening to this is like, oh, that's probably like a common thing that happens to college kids. And so she interviews like thousands of people and they're all like, we've never heard this before in our lives. <laughs> Nobody does this, right? So weird coincidences. So what we're about to read right now in this passage in Job chapter one is a series of coincidences that Job himself is interpreting as from the hand of God. Let's read in verse 13, and I'll summarize what happens before. Now, there was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, 
The oxen were plowing the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, while he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters are eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You thought you had a bad day. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job was a man who lived in the land of Uz, Uz. He was a wealthy man, respected, loved by many people, and he was also a righteous man. So righteous that God himself bragged to Satan about him. Job chapter 1 verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? My servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Some of you eat food with your family at the dinner table, a very noble tradition to carry on. Job was so noble that he would have a lot of kids and he would set certain days for people to come over and have a feast. So you would have an appointed day, you would have an appointed day, everybody has an appointed day, they come over and they feast. And because he has so many kids, he thought, you know what, just in case my kids have sinned, I'm going to offer a sacrifice for them and their families as well. Job was a righteous man. And still, terrible things happened to Job. Now, why did all this terrible stuff happen? Why is it in an instant, all simultaneously, all these terrible things happened to him? Do you ever have a bad day? You ever have a day where it seems like everything is going wrong? At first you wake up and then you find out like your brother didn't do the chores that they're supposed to do. Now you're gonna get in trouble. You found out, oh no, I forgot to hand in that assignment. I forgot to do my homework. I for or you're late to the bus, you slept in. That's always the worst. You didn't hear your alarm and now everything's thrown off and you just found out your friends text you, hey, by the way, I hate you. Just Everything seems to happen all at once. Well, Job literally lost everything. He lost all of his possessions, all of his cattle. And remember in those days, if you're a wealthy person, it's not like you hoarded up necessarily silver, although you probably could. You hoarded up oxen, cattle, because with those things, you could sell them, you could give them away, they could produce crops, they could produce, not produce crops, they could produce milk and different, different things. But Job lost it all, even his children, even his families. And the result of it was that he worshiped God. He saw all these coincidences as from the hand of God. And he said, well, I came into this world having nothing. I'm going to leave this world with nothing. The Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Initially, when we have things taken away from us, doesn't it frustrate us? And it's reasonable, right? So I think I talked about this, but I had to ticket 
for being on my cell phone while driving. Don't do it, okay? I'm just confessing to you. I had to confess before court that I was guilty, so it doesn't matter. Paid $239 this past Wednesday. It's a lot of money. Actually, that's the minimum fine, so it could have been worse. Between, so apparently with the cell phone bill, they changed it, so the first offense is $200 to $400. Don't be on your cell phone. Too expensive. So when that happens, initially you get frustrated, you get annoyed. But if you think about it, why are, you, like, why are we frustrated? It's not my money. It's not my things. And if I was in the wrong, then I deserve it, right? But Job did nothing wrong, and he still decided to worship God. That's a crazy thing. Now, why did this happen? Job has no idea. He has no idea. Like, what is happening? But we get a sense of the background in the portion I didn't read where God and Satan are having a conversation, which to me, you could probably spend an entire week just thinking about that. That's weird. God and Satan are having a conversation. In this conversation, God is bragging about how amazing Job is. And Satan says, you realize the only reason why he worships you is because you have set a hedge around him. Whenever people pray that, that's where it comes from, by the way. Like, what what in the world is a hedge? So it's like, you've protected him thus far. He hasn't had any suffering. He hasn't had any problems. Of course he's going to worship you. You've given him wealth. You've given him great kids. You've given him everything. But you take those things away and watch what happens. So God said, fine, you can do whatever you want, just don't touch his health. So Satan obviously causes all this destruction. Job praises and worships God. At the beginning of chapter 2, God goes back to Satan and says in verse 3 of chapter 2, Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And he still, he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretched out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So long story short, Satan actually goes, gives him boils, gives him pain, so much so that three of his friends show up to Job's bedside and don't even recognize him. And they're thinking, what? Now, if you're one of Job's friends, those of you that read the Bible and you've spent time in the book of Job, you know where this is going, right? So you know what happens to Job's friends and they give bad advice. But if you were Job's friends and you heard that your, like, best friend lost everything all at the same time, every one of his possessions, his house burned down, and then all of his family members are killed except him, and then suddenly he just got plagued, you would think, man, Maybe he did something really evil and God is punishing him. That might be your natural conclusion if you're a believer, right? It would seem that way. And so everybody is against him, even his own friends who can't even recognize him at this point. You know what his wife says? She says, you know what? Curse God and die. Literally. I mean, if you're going to marry someone, you should marry someone that's going to encourage you, right? Curse God and die. So what in the world is happening to poor Job? He has no answers. Now he starts off pretty good. He starts off saying, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But remember, as I said in the beginning, this whole book is filled with confusion, emotion, sorrow. And the question is, 
where is God in all of the persecution? Where is God in all the suffering? In chapter 13, verse 24, Job even says, why do you hide your face to God, he says. Why do you regard me as your enemy? And tonight, what we're gonna talk about is what we need to know when it feels like God is absent. Do you ever have a moment where in your suffering, you feel like God is not listening? That God is hiding his face from you? Do you ever have a moment where you're in the midst of a struggle, temptation, and it seems like God is nowhere to be found? This is where Job is. No matter how many times he cries out, this is a long book. No matter how many times he calls out, it seems like there's no answer from heaven. And Job actually asked the question, why is God hiding from me? Why is this all happening? And then his friends are accusing him. His friends are discouraging him. And he has to defend himself. And he says, listen, I know you think that I've done something wrong, but I really haven't. And they say, well, see, you have the sin of pride because you don't think you did anything wrong. No, I really haven't. I have no idea why any of this is happening to me. If only God were here. If only God could show up. If he could just vindicate me and say like, hey, my servant Job. If only God was bragging to his friends like he bragged in front of Satan. This is where Job was. Turn to Job chapter 23 now. We're going to be reading a number of different portions of scripture. So hopefully I don't lose you in the reading. But rather than paraphrasing, sometimes it's just best for you to see it yourself. And by reading scripture together, maybe when you read it on your own, it will have the same effect. So as Job gets a little bit more discouraged, listen how he describes the situation. Verse 1, then Job answered and said, chapter 23, even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. He's talking about God. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. Is he going to fight against me, in other words? No, but he's going to notice. Here I am, suffering. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Look, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way, not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job is seeing this as maybe this is a test. Maybe all of this is God trying to test me. And so I'm going to hold fast. I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to curse him and die. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to place my faith in him. But now he, listen to the doubt where it shifts, verse 13. But he is unique. And who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. For God made my heart weak, and the Almighty terrifies me. Because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness. And he did not hide deep darkness from my face. Wow. Powerful. Do you, hear, do you like hear the emotion? 
when we have problems, when we have situations, struggles, suffering, sometimes the most frustrating thing about it is that you want to fix it, but you can't. Here, Job is struggling because he knows God can fix it, but he won't. Hmm. So God has all power to do anything. Yet it seems like God's very power is directed at Job. So he says, I want to place my faith in in God. I want to place my trust in him. But now I'm terrified. I know what God is capable of doing. If he wanted to, he could vanquish me. If he wanted, he could torture me. If he wanted to, he could suddenly find me guilty for no reason. I know what God is capable of doing. I know that God can deliver me, but he's not. So maybe it's possible in those moments that we have doubt too when we know that God has the ability to fix things, but we're confused as to why he doesn't. In times like this, when you're suffering and you don't have an answer, okay, this is terrible. I prayed, God didn't answer. I'm not sure why. There's a number of things that happen, okay? Maybe you're sick and you prayed or a family member is sick, you prayed. It doesn't seem like you're getting an answer. Maybe you're praying for a certain result. I'd go as far as to say sometimes your parents have struggles, problems with each other, and you're praying for a certain outcome, and it doesn't always happen the way that you want. In those moments, here's a couple things that happen. You have a number of friends that give you terrible advice. And not because they're just terrible people. They just they don't know any better. Like Job's wife, curse God and die. Like his friends, hey, listen, I, uh, mm, you probably did something wrong. We can't blame them. I had a, a friend when I was in high school. I've shared this story before, but uh, one of my good friends in high school, he was dating this girl. We visit her all the time at the mall when she was working, and she had a brain aneurysm while she was sleeping, and then she died the very next day. In the midst of her being in the hospital and being rushed there, all the things happening, I was calling upon everybody to pray. And someone had this response, one of my friends. She said, when I was asking everybody to pray, she's just like, are you asking me or are you telling me? Now, she probably didn't mean anything wrong by that. But the way that she said it, it made me furious. Like, who do you think you are? Sometimes you just have terrible friends that have no idea how to handle situations. And when you're suffering, People might look at you and say, well, you probably have done something wrong. You probably deserve it. Or the friends that you know, like you should have listened to the advice, and they say, I told you so. If you'd only listen to me, you wouldn't be where you are right now. Right? You have friends like that. And then from that, you go to discouragement. Maybe this is God. Maybe this is the result of my sin. Sometimes you think, It's probably because I didn't read my Bible this morning, (laughs) right? There is a story in John chapter 9 where a bunch of people come up to Jesus and they bring a blind man before him and say, Jesus, did this man sin and therefore he is born blind or is he blind because of his parents' sin? Which is it? And Jesus says, neither was it his sin or his parents' sin, but so that the works of God, the glory of God could be revealed through him. Paraphrase, but that's basically what he says. In that culture, they believe that you could actually sin in the womb. 
So if they saw you, if you were maimed, if you were lame, if you had a disability, they said, probably it's the result of your sin or your parents' sin. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand the works of God. But sometimes he even uses the suffering to show his glory. All of us go through suffering at some point in time, and God works it out for good. But in the moment, it doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes it feels like it's because I was stupid, I was disobedient, and therefore God is punishing me. And so if it's not terrible friends, giving terrible advice, discouragement, sometimes you just complain when the suffering happens. Job chapter 31, verse 33, he says, If I have covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of families, so that I kept silence and did not go out of the door. Oh, that I had, had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. Or even as the psalmist said in chapter 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will, be, will my enemy be exalted over me? I'm thankful for passages like this in the Bible because it reminds me that it's made up of a bunch of humans. God inspired humans, but humans. There are real-life humans who had challenges, difficulties, complaints, and it's recorded in the Scripture to give us hope that despite your, claim, your, your complaints, that God is still faithful. But when we feel like God is absent, here's the first thing that we can remember for this evening. This will not encourage you, but it gets encouraging, okay? Christians are not promised a comfortable life. Christians are not promised a comfortable life. The world that we live in is broken. There are problems, there are situations that affect Christians and non-Christians alike, but just because you place your faith in God does not mean that there'll be favorable results. Now, here is where it's going to be a really, really, probably convicting portion of the message. So this is where you want to, if you've been checking out up until now, this is where you want to pay attention. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you another portion of scripture. Maybe you've never seen this before. Hebrews chapter 11 is popularly known as the hall of faith. In Numbers uh, there's a number of different biblical characters that exemplified faith. And I want you to see Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. The writer of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? Verse 32. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Man, that's cool. I want to stop a mouth of a lion. I want to raise the dead. Yeah. But it says, verse 35, others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and, and in caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Oh, man, this is crazy. When we think of faith, don't you think of the people that move mountains? There's some people that actually get crushed by them, and they still exemplify faith. The people that exemplify faith were not just the people that are delivered. It's also the people that died. It's not just the people who stopped the mouths of lions. It's also the people that are sawn in half. This is what's recorded in, in the scriptures as both people having faith. But how in the world is that possible? I thought if you place your faith in God, everything's going to turn out fine. Things will work out. God will be for you. And that's where we've missed the point because this life is not the point. Listen, is it true that God will bless you in this life? Yeah, absolutely. Is it true that your life will be fuller, abundant because you've obeyed Jesus? Yes. John 10, 10, I have come that they would have life and that more abundantly. But listen, Christians are not promised a better physical experience than non-Christians. Just because you follow Jesus does not mean that you have less sickness in your life, less disappointments in your life. But it changes what is the foundation it changes your view of every bit of suffering and discouragement and trial in your life because you understand that it's not the final say. You understand that it's not gonna shake you. There's deeper purposes. There's a God who's working all things together for good, even if we can't understand it in this life. And so here's the part that may make you wanna not come back to church, but it's true. And this is something, to be honest, I probably haven't, like, really thought about until recently. So the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not, is not, is not, is not, if you are sick, God will always heal you. That is not the good news. And that's what's often preached. If you go on sermons on podcasts, that's what you hear. I have a word for tonight. Somebody here, you're sick and God's going to heal you. Maybe, but it's not a promise for everyone. Here's another one. If you're hungry, God will always feed you. I mean, maybe in America, you're, you're probably guaranteed you're gonna get food somewhere, but there's a lot of people around the world that die of starvation, even Christians. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not gonna have persecution. In fact, persecution is guaranteed for the believer in this life. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. Here's another one. If you want to, like, avoid conviction, you can close your ears at this point. Here's, here's what the gospel is not. Ready? If you're single and have a desire to be married, you will be married one day. <coughs> what? But people told me, if I have a desire for it, I'm probably going to be married. I, I don't know. Maybe. That's not in the Bible. And that's not the gospel. The good news of Jesus is not if you have a desire for something, it will be fulfilled sometime in this life. The gospel is not if you're lonely, God will always bring you friends. It's a broken world that we live in. And sometimes even godly people suffer persecution, sufferings, and disappointments in this life. But here's what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus came personally to set everything that is wrong 
in order to be made right. That Jesus himself stepped out of heaven to see the brokenness in this world and he came in to fix it himself. And here's why you need to know that those things I mentioned are not the gospel because you confuse it. You think that believing in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins equals that I'm gonna get what I want. And it's not true. Maybe, but maybe not. But even in the maybe not, for the believer, for the Christian, you can know that God has greater purposes behind it. And we're guaranteed that because whereas Job was wondering, whereas the hall of faith people were looking forward, we can always look backward at what God has done. That God has not stayed in heaven for us, but the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We have more access to God than Job, than any of the Old Testament prophets, kings, anyone before the time of Jesus. Because not only have we experienced Jesus ourselves through the Holy Spirit, but we have evidence of Jesus' imprint here on this earth. And so what does that mean? Because we're looking backwards as to as to the, the finished work on the cross, we are now guaranteed through the Holy Spirit that any suffering you have in this life is temporary, that he is working it together for good. And so now Colossians chapter one, verse 19, it says, it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness shall, should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So that means that everything that's broken in this world can be fixed by God. It's like, think about this. This is crazy, okay? Literally everything that's wrong is fixed by the gospel. This gospel is not just for this world. It's also for the entire universe. Everything in heaven and in earth is being reconciled by Jesus Christ. So pick a concept because it could be personal wrongs or systemic wrongs. Racism is fixed by the gospel, Okay? Supremacy is fixed by the gospel. Inequality is fixed by the gospel. Everything is fixed by Jesus Christ, and he's working through us to bring the reconciliation of all things. So just pick a topic. Pick art, okay? What is the story of art? Well, God, as the ultimate artist, created everything good in the beginning, right? He painted. He created things with color and beauty, and we are made in his image, but made in God's image, we sinned and we've broken the image. And now we worship the image. We worship, worship the creation rather than the creator. So art is now broken. And actually, if you think about it, what is the thing that the Antichrist wants the most? He wants the whole world to worship his work of art, his image. But then Jesus came in the image of man to reconcile the broken images of man to once again look like God. And so now we can use art to tell the story of the gospel, to point people to the beauty of Jesus. And one day, every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship God for all of eternity. See, even broken art is fixed by the gospel. This is what it is. This is hope for humanity, the only thing that can give us peace and reconciliation. So go to Job chapter 42. The message will get positive from here, don't worry. Job chapter 42. 
What happens between chapter 23 and 42? A lot more complaints. And at one point, God actually shows up and says, all right, I'm going to ask you questions, and you're going to answer me. And paraphrase. He basically says, where were you when I created the world? Um, do you know anything about the creation that I have? Can you explain to me how any of these things work? The waves, how deers give birth. Like, can you explain any of these things to me? And as God is questioning Job, it's interesting because Job never gets an answer to his question. He never finds out why he was suffering. But in God questioning Job about the workings of the universe, asking him if he understands Leviathan, whether it's a dragon, whether it's a dinosaur, he's asking him all these different questions. Here's what Job answers the Lord in verse 1 of chapter 42. He says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of your hands can be, purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Imagine asking God, why atoms react a certain way when they're put together? Imagine God asking him, I, yeah, but like, why do cells reproduce at this rate rather than at a different rate? That'd be strange, right? Like, you don't know what you're doing. And if you gave suggestions, like, God, I think we should have three eyeballs, not two. And here's why. And you gave him an explanation. You probably would mess up everything, right? Couldn't we agree that if we just talked to God about creation, we said, don't you think we should have a few more bulls on the planet than, than what we have now? Don't you think we should have, like, modern-day dragons, modern-day dinosaurs? We would probably destroy ourselves just with tinkering with creation. And yet, so many times, we think by changing our current circumstances that we fix it and not ruin it. But that's where we as human beings do not have the vantage point that God has in order to set everything right. God is focused on the reconciliation of the cosmos. And most of the time, we're focused only on our own personal restoration. But know that even in the times that you have suffering, and maybe there is no relief here in this life, there will be in the next. When you place your faith in God, you will never be disappointed. If you turn from God, it's only going to get worse. That for sure is guaranteed. But when you place your faith in God, here's the, here's the good news. You may not get specifically the circumstance that you want, but you get God himself. So maybe for us as Christians, we might not be promised a comfortable life, but here's our second point. Christians are promised Christ's life. You are always guaranteed a relationship with the creator God. And that's all Job needed. It was fine for him. He didn't need to know the answers once he had God. He says, now I see God and I'm repentant. Yep, I don't know what I'm doing and you keep being God and I'm gonna go back to what I was doing. And what's really cool about this is at the end of chapter 42, God still blesses Job anyway. He gives him everything back, gives him twice as many family members. He gives him all of his, 
his, uh, he, well, not twice as many family members, but he gave, gave him, um, we'll just read it. Verse 12 of chapter 42, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first, etc. And you can just, yeah, there you go. They're beautiful. They're awesome. And I said double because the ones that went to heaven, he had more afterwards. So it's like he has twice as many kids now, just like he has more oxen and sheep and stuff, but they're human beings. I'm going to stop talking about that. So he gets a lot of stuff. He still gets blessing. And when you understand the relationship, the loving relationship God has for you, that God is not your enemy, that God is for you because you place your faith in him, when you understand that, suddenly everything that you do receive in addition is just this overwhelming blessing that you, that you just like can't imagine. So you're thinking, wait a minute. So God has promised me eternal life, salvation of sins, nothing I've ever done or said that's been wrong will ever be counted against me. And then on top of that, he's going to bless me with this? That's crazy. You just look at your life and you're like, but why did God do that? Instead of looking at the suffering and saying, why, was, why is God punishing me? You're looking at the blessing and saying, why is God blessing me? What did I do to deserve all these things that God has chosen to give me? And not only that, God actually vindicated Job by rebuking his friends. And so God actually says to Eliphaz in verse 7, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. And then, in verse 10, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Even after all that, Job actually chose to pray for his friends that were so mean to him this whole time. He said terrible things. And God blessed him when he did that. There is a highlight for Job in chapter 19, and this kind of uh, summarizes everything we talked about thus far. And then I'll make a conclusion and we'll be done. Job chapter 19, verse 25, Job says, for I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's why we can always wait on the Lord to come forward with his blessings, because we know that we will always receive what we have been promised, and that is a fresh vision of God. We're living on this side of the cross, where now any question that we ask is always answered by Jesus Christ himself, that we can have a personal relationship with him, and one day we will see him not through FaceTime, not through a telephone call. We'll actually see him face to face, him in all of his glory. So in conclusion, think about Jesus. If you're still discouraged in your suffering, you're still discouraged because you feel like God is absent, remember that Jesus, like Job, was stripped of all of his heavenly comforts and yet still did the Father's will. Jesus was cursed by Peter, by all of his friends, left to suffer alone. Jesus himself experienced the ultimate abandonment by God, which in turn was used for the greatest blessing for the entire world. 
Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew that he was entering into suffering. The suffering that Job had, he did not choose. The suffering Jesus had, he chose because he loves you and he loves me. Alvin Plantinga is a philosopher who says this quote. We don't know why God permits evil. We do know, however, that he was prepared to suffer on our behalf, to accept suffering of which we can form no conception. So all that to say, we can seek the Lord. He's not hiding in some corner somewhere, not answering our questions. At any point in time, as long as you have breath in your lungs, you can cry out to God and hear, he hears you. You can seek God. You can ask him to fill, fill you with, your holy, with the Holy Spirit. And he will always do that. He will always fulfill his promises towards you in that. And give you this peace that surpasses understanding. Those are the promises of God. And that is the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to die to save sinners because he loves us. And that gives us the opportunity, though we're not guaranteed for healing in this life. He gives the opportunity to experience his pleasure, his love, and his goodness. I'm going to read Psalm 27, verses 4 through 9, and I'll close with this. The psalmist says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Let's pray.